morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we will continue our journey through this epistle, through this letter that John wrote of the visions that he saw of things that were and that were to come. And this morning, you know, I told you uh, four or five weeks ago when, I guess seven or eight weeks ago when we started this, that uh, this is the one book that most church members want pastors to preach through, and this is the one book that pastors don't want to preach through, because neither one of those groups, pastors or church members, understand the book of Revelation. And up to this point, all of you have said, man, those are some great sermons, Man, I don't understand why you think that it's so hard. Well, today (laughs) begins. It begins right now. Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to read chapter 6 and also chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8 as we see some seals opened. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit When shaken by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth 
great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels, who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes from where they have come and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. Or anymore, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know that the moments that we are going to spend here, those brief moments that we are going to look at this passage, will not even scratch the surface. Will not even scratch the surface of 
the magnitude of what is taking place in these verses. But Father, I pray that the truth would come forth. Your word is truth, that you would speak. And Father, the the truths that, Lord, I've drawn out of this passage, God, we would take and we would apply to our hearts and our lives even today, this moment, right now. God, our lives would change because we are drawn closer and closer to you. Would you please speak? Would you allow our our minds to understand? Would you allow our eyes to see, our ears to hear? And Father, would you whisper into our spirit, into our souls, into our lives now, your word. For Father, if it's just me talking, there is no power for you or power. For Father, if it's just me talking, there is no authority for you are all authority. So God, I pray that you would speak. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When you and I approach the the passages in front of us, when you and I look and we read and we want to know, we want to know a day, we want to know a time, we want to know the hour of day, we want to know the moment, we want to know the second when all of this is going to take place. And if you're like me, you are a very linear person and so therefore you're thinking of it, all right, chapter 6 comes before chapter 7, comes before chapter 14, before chapter 19 and ultimately before chapter 22, all right? So that's the order and the sequence. But in most prophetic literature, it's not order chronologically, it's more cyclical, it's a spiral, it's a look at a a tapestry or an art piece and you say, all right, I've got to put a base coat down and there's got to be some color on it and then on top of that I've got to bring out one of these features and then I've got to bring out another feature and another feature to give a vivid, clear picture. And that's what John is doing. He is painting a portrait of something that is to come. He's looking at that and he is writing in the first few chapters that we're looking at now in 6, 7 and a portion of 8. He has got these seals and that is one of the coats. We'll come back and we'll see some trumpets being sounded. We'll come back and we'll see some bowls of wrath being uh, poured out and tumped over. And all of that is describing the tribulation. When does it start? It starts when God allows it to start. Because we need to see, first and foremost, this morning, we need to see this, that God is ultimately sovereign over all. He's ultimately sovereign over evil. He's ultimately sovereign over every single thing. Look with me in these verses. Starting there in verse 1 of chapter 6. You see a horseman that comes out on the scene. It's a white horse in verse 2. And the rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. You, You see a second horse and that second horse came out. It was bright red and this rider was permitted 
It was given to him authority to be able to take away peace from the earth. A third rider comes and something is given to him. A fourth rider comes and something is given to him. Uh, They are given power to do these things. If you look in chapter 8 verse 2, it's a, a verse that we will look at next week, Lord willing. It says this, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. In verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar in the with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Chapter 9, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 5, chapter 13, verses 5, 7, 14, and 15 all speak of something given to an entity, something given to a messenger, an angel, uh, a being, uh, power was given, or the opportunity was given for this to be taken away, that to be taken away. All that to say, above every single thing God is sovereign. Remember Job. Job was a man and everything was great and fine and dandy with Job in his life. He had seven kids. He was blessed beyond measure. He had multiplied hundreds of cattle, multiplied hundreds of sheep, hundreds of of donkeys, hundreds of camels, numerous servants. He had land galore. There was nobody, as God said, there was nobody like him in all the earth. And one day, God turned Satan's attention on Job. Job didn't know this. Job's wife didn't know this. Job's friends didn't know this. But God turned Satan's attention in chapter 1 and Satan's attention again in chapter 2 on Job. And when he did, he said, here are the parameters that you must stay in. Satan, you can have full reign. You can take away anything, any possession that he has. You can take away all of his kids. You can take away all of his servants. You can take away his lands. You can take away anything, but you cannot touch him. And he did. And one day, all the sheep gone, all the cattle gone, all the um, horses, all the camels, all the donkeys, all the servants, all the children. And at the end of chapter 1, Job says, Naked I came into the world, and naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Another day, Satan is coming before God because God allowed him to. And he said, what about Job? And he said, well, you've still got his health. You're still giving him that. And he said, you can do anything that you want except you cannot take his life. And that day, his health is taken away from him. He has boils from the top of his head all the way to the bottom of his feet. Everything is there. And he is in utter pain, agony. But he will not curse God. Satan could only go so far with Job. And Satan can only go so far in the book of Revelation. God gives him parameters because God is sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. God is sovereign. Look there in chapter 6, verse 10. They cried with a loud voice. To who? Who did they cry to with a loud voice? They said this, O sovereign Lord, 
holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are there around the throne. The fifth seal has been opened up and the altar there and they, the souls of those who had been slain, they had been martyred, they had been there, they had given their lives, possibly physically, but totally they gave themselves over to the Father and they were worshiping Him and they were asking Him, How long, Lord? How long will it be until... You, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge the blood of those who dwell on the earth? God is the sovereign ruler. God is the one who is in charge. God, in the midst of chaos, and your world today might be chaos. Your world might be chaos. At work, there might be chaos going around. You can't figure out who's in charge. The one manager is telling you this, another manager is telling you that. On Monday they say one thing, on Tuesday they say another. Maybe it's your financial. You look at the, at the checkbook statement and the, of the bank account and you're like, there is no way that all this is going to work out. God is sovereign. He's sovereign in your world right now. And He's sovereign over all the universe. He's sovereign in the United States of America. He's sovereign in Thailand. He's sovereign everywhere. Not just today, but forever in the future. Just as he has been forever in the past. The second point and the second truth this morning is this. Not only is God ultimately sovereign over all and over evil, But second, this passage, it's a sad passage to read, but this passage shows us that men and women are morally responsible for evil. Depictions of the horsemen show us the gamut. They show us the whole of the entirety of God giving mankind what mankind wants. It's... It's a picture of Romans chapter 1 coming out and it being unfolded. What does man want? Man wants to go against God because of its nature, because of our choice. And God says, all right, I'll give you over to your mind. I'll give you over. If that's what you want, have at it. And this is a picture of that unfolding. From the first seal that is broken and that first horse that is let go. The rider has a bow and the rider is given a crown and he came out, what? Conquering and to conquer to the second one who is on a bright red horse and he is there to wage war, to take peace from the earth so that the people would slay one another and he's got a great sword. From war and conquering of that first and second horse to killing one another to famine of the third horse, all leading to death. The sinfulness of man rises to the top in these passages. We're progressing deeper and deeper in sin as individuals and also as a whole race. Mankind is depraved. They are decidedly sinful. Think about it for a second. Sin always destroys. Doesn't it? It it, it always 
destroys. That's not the picture that you get from Satan. He, he doesn't come and tempt you from a, uh, a black horse and riding and there is just these scales there in front of that temptation and he is saying, hey, here's what it's going to cost you. If you go down the road that I'm leading you on, here's what it's going to cost. That's not what he does. No, what does he do? He shows you a picture of that steak with the steam rising off of it, that baked potato with all the sour cream and the butter and the chives and the bacon and the cheddar on it. And he, there's steam coming off of that. He shows you the two, the three-inch tall moose coming off that piece of pie. He shows me that red flashing sign of Krispy Kreme hot donuts. What he doesn't show you about that steak what he doesn't show you about that piece of pie, what he doesn't show me about that donut, are the countless crunches, the absolute exercise that it's going to take to take one of those calories that we indulge ourselves with away. The temptation to overeat. Satan is crafty. He shows us the house. He he shows us the white picket fence. He shows us the swing set in the backyard. He shows us the shine of the new leather shoes. He shows us the handbags, ladies, that match it, that we have to have. He shows us the chrome of the wheels and of the bumper, gentlemen. He does not show us the mortgage, the credit card bills that pile up. He doesn't show us, oh, all the collectors and the phone calls and the envelopes that are going to stuff your mailbox. He's crafty. He has not changed his ways because they work. Why do we keep going back? Because we're so self-destructive. Please open your eyes today. Oh, Brian, I preached to myself for a second. Open your eyes. See the destruction. A fourth of the human race is wiped out with the fourth horseman coming. One commentator stated it this way, reviewing the various interpretations assigned to the four horsemen tends to rob the contemporary reader of the dramatic nature of the vision itself. It's good to place oneself back in one of the seven churches in chapter 2, chapter 3, there in the first century and listen to the visions as they're being read instead of discussing the probable significance of each of the four colored horses those first listeners more than likely would undoubtedly have recoiled in terror as war bloodshed famine death galloped furiously across the stage of their imagination We, mankind, we, individuals, we self-destruct. We choose to sin. We sin because of our nature. And when that occurs, death is on the scene. How do you apply it to your life? How do you apply it to your family's life? How do you apply it to those that are around you? You and I must know that outside of Christ, outside of God, there is self-destruction. Yet, 
we are more than conquerors. He has won the victory for you and he's won the victory for me on the cross. He rose from the dead so that you too might walk in newness of life. Sin is all around you and is all around me today. And we're responsible for that morally. Those who seek salvation in Christ, there is no other place. Those who seek salvation in Christ, when He stands, He stands in our place. He has taken the wrath of Almighty God upon Himself and He has paid the price for your salvation. God will judge those who turn from Him and seek pleasure, satisfaction, salvation in self, the world, and any and everything else outside of Himself. It is this divine justice that we see in Verse 10. And it is what leads to the statement in chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And you're like, why, why would that be the case? Well, in looking at this first picture of seeing the whole of the tribulation and as he is painting that for us as John is looking at it and seeing it the seventh seal brings the totality of the tribulation and when it is over when the judgment has been spoken what else is there to say when God speaks the final word there is judgment. Earthquakes, famine, sun is black, the moon is a huge ball of blood. What is there to say? God's judgment is cosmic, meaning its scope is over the whole of the universe. There's no way you can escape it. You know, I've been told more than one time that Hell is just going to be a party. It's not going to be a party, folks. It is going to be a place of utter torment and punishment, solitary confinement for all of eternity. The place of punishment and trauma, pain, no rest. The whole wrath of God will be poured out upon every single person that is there. A constant flow of this wrath. And rightfully so, because no one that's there, no one that is spending eternity in hell is one that wanted to be a part of what God had. They said, I'll do it myself. I'll try to, to work. I'll try to do this or that. God is going to judge, and it will be terrible. It will be terrifying. It will be eternal. But it doesn't end there. The whole of chapter 7 speaks of two sets of people. And I will draw us to a conclusion with a third truth this morning. Salvation comes through God alone. Chapter 7 verses 1 through 8 is that representation of Israel. In chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, the end of the chapter, the second half there, it is the church. 
Let's look at this for just one second. The picture in heaven is one of worship and praise, the praise from all of Israel. And people are asking, is this a, a literal 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, equaling 144,000? Well, maybe yes and maybe no. But think about it for just a second. If you were to look over in the 13th chapter of this book, it speaks of every single one who does not have the sign on their forehead or the sign on their wrist that they would be killed. And verses 1 through 8 of this passage here in 7 is a portion of that people. And is that the only, is there only going to be 144,000 people who are killed because they don't take the sign of the forehead or the sign of the beast on their arm? No. But this is a total picture of Israel. There will be a day when Israel comes back to the Father. There will be a day when Israel's light inside their mind says, Oh yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. And there will be those who are from the tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, and all the rest. Praise from Israel. Also, verses 9 through 17, praise from the Gentiles. Everyone in this picture is worshiping. Why? Because he alone is worthy to be worshipped and praised. We saw that last week. A fresh and a new worship. It's so many that nobody can count them. It's so many of those people that are praising the living God. That they can't even count the numbers as they go out to the east and the west, the north and the south. As they go out from the throne, there is not a way to count the multitude of every tribe, tongue, language and nation and kingdom of priests that are praising the worthiness of our God. Today, as we have not even scratch the surface of what is to come. Might you and I be reminded of this. Chapter 6 through chapter 20, chapter 21, there are some terrible things that are going to be unfolding. Those that will be on the earth and we will look to see who those are in the coming weeks. But those that will be on the earth, multitudes die. Why? To bring about the glory of the kingdom. To bring about the end of this and the beginning of all eternity. It's not going to be an easy day. It's not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be an easy uh, place to live if you and I live in that moment of great tribulation. But it's also not for you and me. This was not written, I do not believe. For us to get out our charts, for us to get out our, our schedules, our calendar to say, hey, does it start this Tuesday? In one sense, that's not what it's about. But in another sense, it is. Because we are to be about 
with urgency. 99.1% of 66 plus million don't know Christ. Never heard the name of Christ in one country. Multiplied millions in America have not heard. Don't care. Multiplied billions around the world either have never heard the name or don't have anybody around them to tell them about the name and the person of Jesus Christ. You and I are here today. You're not, we're here today to obey the one that gave his life for us. He has given us authority to go and share. And he has commanded us. He has commanded us. Sir, ma'am, today, please see the love of God. And see what he desires for you. Turn from the sin. Turn from his wrath. Turn to him. He loves you and desires that you would come to know him. You and I have been singing over the past few weeks how worthy he is. And he is. Might those words turn into action as we go about our day, as we go about our week. Because he paid the price for you. And he paid the price for me. Not so that we would be comfortable and we would be all, get all the things that, quote, Americans or Western Christians do. But that we would give up our lives. And we would talk whenever he tells us to talk. And we would be quiet whenever he tells us to be quiet. And we would go wherever he tells us to go. You know, for three weeks I have been... Uh, pointedly asking God to uh, just give me people to talk to. And um, last couple of weeks, he's given me uh, a number of people just to share, whether it is uh, just in the direction that I'm going or that he actually brings here. For seven years, we have been in one of three locations, namely the last five years we've been in Hernando. And I don't know of one time that there has been a benevolent case that has come to the doors for us to help. Not to say that's good, bad, or ugly, but we just hadn't done it. The last two Wednesdays, the last two Wednesdays, God brought a gentleman from Michigan and God brought a gentleman the next week from Ohio to the door. And um, I told Brian Riley and Clay Taylor that they just needed to quit coming to the office because it was only happening when both of them were here and I was here. But uh, had the opportunity to talk with both of them, had the opportunity to go and, uh, go and get gasoline for them so that they could get some miles up the road. And as I left Wednesday, I just started praying after I shared about God's love, how, how much Jesus loved this man from Ohio. And I said, all right, Lord. No, you've brought these men and I've had the opportunity to share with them how much you love them. But you know what? It doesn't take a guy from Ohio or a guy from Michigan to come. What about folks right here? Had the opportunity to share with a lady um, where Nathan swims uh, this past week. Why? Because I was looking. 
There's other weeks I've seen that lady. There's other weeks I've seen other guys and other people there. There's other weeks where I've seen folks at the gas station and I wasn't looking. There's people all around that need to know about Jesus. He's coming. Trouble is coming. Do you believe that there's an eternity of torture and pain? Do we believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell? And that people will spend eternity in one of those places? There's no third choice. Heavenly Father, God, I pray. Lord, I know that service has gone a little long, but Father, you move. Father, you move in my heart today. Remind me of the urgency of the task that I am to be about. I am to be an ambassador of yours in this place. Ultimately, Hernando, Mississippi is not my home. Heaven is my home. For I am the child of the King. And God, you are coming in wrath, in power, in might. And the stars will fall out of the sky. The sun will be dark like a black moon. The moon itself will be red as blood. Oh God, the picture that is there, that we see unfold in this letter. Father, might it draw us to you, but Father, might it also scatter us to tell how great you are and what you want from those around us. The invitation is for you this morning to see the the awesome action of our Lord and our God. But may you also spend the time this morning thinking of friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members, acquaintances that don't know the King. And would you ask the Father to give you an opportunity this week to share. You stand and you sing. Join with the band, join with me as we sing the praise of the King and obey.